At this point, I'd ask that you turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of John, the 17th chapter, and then also take your bulletin and turn to that last section, the section that has the box in it where we have our new mission statement. So with that new mission statement in hand and uh, John 17 uh, in hand, I remind you that this morning we will be continuing on with our four-part series, expounding on our church's new mission statement. We again stress that the mission of this church has not changed, but rather we are endeavoring to make what we do and why we do it more centrally aligned in our thoughts. And so it was with that goal in mind that two weeks ago, Senior Pastor Caleb read the following words that are printed in the box located at the bottom of your bulletin. It reads, Peer Orchard Presbyterian Church exists to pursue transformation by truth and grace together for the glory of Christ. Of course, he read the entire thing, but his focus was on that. And so that you heard the answers to the question, through that you heard the answers to the question, why? Why do we exist here as a local expression of Christ's body? Last week, Pastor Carl followed up on Caleb's answering of that question, why? By moving us towards uh, the subsection, the subsection of our statement that answers the question, how? How are we going to fulfill that which God has called us to for his glory, fulfill that which is articulated in the statement that we, the session in this church, have put together in order to fulfill that which God has called us to. The answer is by faithfully, as it says, communicating all of God's inerrant word. Pastor Carl did a marvelous job of communicating that, of expounding on that particular aspect last week. And then there's gathering in the loss and equipping the saints for active participation in ministry. Pastor Christian will deal with the latter, equipping the saints next week. But this morning, my assignment is the second of these three prongs, gathering in the lost. How are we to pursue transformation by truth and grace together? Notice it says together. It's by gathering in the lost That is by intentionally engaging in evangelism, reaching the lost for Christ, by intentionally, volitionally engaging in mission. But wait a minute, Dean. Wait, wait, wait. Your answer begs another question. That is, why should I, why should we be about the business of gathering in the lost? Well, I'm glad you ask. I'm going to answer that question by proposing Three overarching reasons. There's many, but there's three overarching reasons. One, it's the love-based will of the Father. Two, they are the Son's greatest treasure. Three, it was Christ's mission, and he has made it ours. So first, one reason we should endeavor to reach the loss is because it's the love-based will of the Father. Before anything existed in the universe, there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, our triune God, three in one, existing in perfect harmony, perfectly loving one another. Out of the abundance of that love, a love whose heights, depths, 
and, and in breath we cannot even begin to fathom, begin to imagine the Father gave the Son a people for himself and decreed the means by, why this, by which this act of love would unfold. It would be through the ultimate display of love, for as the Bible declares, there is no greater love than a man should lay down his life for his brother. We know of that which I've just stated, that which is commonly referred to as the covenant of redemption, because Jesus himself revealed it to us. Listen to these two excerpts from John chapter 17, starting at verses 1 through 5. They read, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And then John 17, 20 through 24 is what I'm going to read. I do not ask for these only. I'm not asking just for the disciples that are with me but also for those who will believe in me through your word, those who are hearing me right now, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Heavenly Father, I pray now that you would open our ears and our hearts to hear that which you would have us know and walk in from this day forward. Mold us and shape us into the image of our Lord so that we will act and be like our Lord to the praise of your glory. Amen. We often hear Matthew uh, 6 and Luke 11, brothers and sisters, referred to as the Lord's Prayer. But in actuality, this high priestly prayer the excerpt from which I just read is the Lord's Prayer. Prayer is where we lay our hearts out before God, reflect on the relationship we have with him, and make our petitions known to him. It's where we share the things that represent our core concerns, that which is tugging at our hearts, and that's exactly what we see here. Our Lord pouring out the contents of his heart before the Father, reflecting on their relationship and engaging in a time of intercession, first on behalf of the disciples that were with him, and then, as verse 20 says, for those who would later come to believe, you and I. I'm not going to comment on this entire text. This is not an ex exegetical sermon. This is a topical sermon. I'm just going to speak concerning those things that we should be looking closely at that relates 
to our first point. And so you should know that in verse 1, when Jesus mentioned that his hour had come, he was speaking about the cross, the time of his crucifixion. Now notice what his statement about his hour being at hand is directly connected to. It's a request for God the Father to glorify himself by bringing to pass that which the Father had decreed as the means by which you and I would be rescued from among the ranks of the lost, the resurrection. That's what Jesus is talking about when he asked the Father to glorify him. Jesus goes on to say that the Father should glorify him since that was the path the Father had decreed again as the means by which those whom the Father had given to him would be rescued from among the ranks of the lost and come to know him in and through Jesus Christ. One proof of what I'm stating right now is a statement of fact found, this statement of fact rather is found in Isaiah 53.10 where we hear these words. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering, his soul, that being Jesus, makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. Beloved Jesus' death on the cross was carried out. It might have been carried out by human hands, but it wasn't brought about by those hands. It was the will of God the Father and the means by which the love of the Father and the Son would engage the redemptive work of gathering in the loss. Now, how are we connected to that? We are saying that we are supposed to be on mission to gathering the loss. How are we connected to that? The answer is because we are to emulate Christ. And when asked that, and when asked the same thing, here's what Christ had to say about why he came. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's in the book of Luke. Now let me draw your attention to what we corporately said together this morning. Think about what you said this morning when we prayed. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We gather in the lost because it is the love-based will of the Father. And like Christ, we should be centrally focused on that which is central to the Father and dear to the heart of the Father and the Son. Another reason why we seek to gather in the lost, why we pursue the lost for the glory of God, is because they are the Son's greatest treasure. Now, don't mistake me to say that we're not the son's greatest treasure and the lost are because this is what we should understand. We should be reminded that all of us were lost. The only two who weren't lost was Adam and Eve. And then they sinned and they hid themselves and went and, and, went and hid from God. And they didn't look for God. God went and he found them. He sought them out. Every single one that's come into this world has come into this world Loss. Thus we can experientially sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm what? Found. We know it. And we can sing it. But are we also able to truly wrap our heads around how much, how deeply Christ loved those who are his? 
but are currently lost. Remember, as I've, we've heard, it's grounded in the love that the Father has for the Son and the love that the Son has for the Father. And then by extension, the Son's love and desire for those who were given to him. That connection is clearly made in John 17, 24, where we find Jesus saying, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Some of you might remember the story I told about the time when my, my great aunt who raised me uh, bought a maroon Tetspeed bike for me for Christmas and she bought it in the month of November and, and put it in her room and how I would open the box and, and put the bike together, ride it, ride it, and then dismantle it and put it back in the box and put it back in her room. Because, and it was because I desired that bike so bad, I, I couldn't help myself. And so I put myself out there and did that right between the space of time when I got out of school and before she came home from work. My desire for it, to ride that bike, to hold it, to see it, it was off the charts. I couldn't stop thinking about it. It was a beautiful maroon, and it rode so well. And I'm glad none of my friends told my aunt what I was doing. But <laughs> Now, I want all of you to think about the things that you desired most and how it affected you and how it made you feel. Now, add all of these things together, all these emotions together, cumulatively together, and guess what? It doesn't even come close to the desire that Jesus is expressing in John 17, 24. A desire to have those who are lost, who were lost, and who are lost, standing in his presence, in his presence, in his glory in heaven, standing before him, they themselves being as he is. For the Bible says we will be as he is, and that is clothed in our glorified body, it is his desire, his telos, his wish, his will, deeply so. And a glimpse of this desire, this love, and, and the, the resulting joy that Christ has and, and will experience in all his fullness is seen in the parables we read in John 15 this morning. In the parables of the lost sheep, he leaves 99 to go after the one that was lost. And when he found that one, just like when he found you, there was and is and will be great rejoicing in heaven, we read. Great rejoicing. And do you know who is leading the chorus of that rejoicing? You don't have to guess. It tells us in the parable of the lost coin. It says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It doesn't say the angels are joyous. It says the joy is before them. We talk about coming before the Lord in prayer, in adoration. We come before him. He is watching us. Here it says that the angels are watching. They're witnessing the exuberant joy emanating from the throne of God over the fact that those who were lost are now found. Those who God had given him in his love were now in, in captured in the fold with him. 
his body that he died for. And so he is joyous. And so, brothers and sisters, my question to you would be, if the heart of God and the Lord is that joyous over the lost, how can we not be passionate about going after that which our Lord is so passionate about? The exuberant joy coming from the throne of God should be before our eyes. These angels, it's these same angels of whom Peter in 1 Peter 1.12 said were longing to look into the, the entrails of redemptive history. They're now standing in the presence of the king of glory, watching him manifest a joy that's incomprehensible to our minds. All we can do is remember every joyous thing that happened to all of us put together and recognize that it doesn't even come close to that which our Lord is manifesting from his throne because remember he is perfect. He is our perfect savior and the very essence of love and all good things and experiences so that everything that we do in our sinful body couldn't even closely approach that which emanates from the throne of glory. And so again, I ask the question, if reaching the loss, if gathering in the loss is such a big deal in heaven, how can it be any less for those of us who are here on earth and are called by his name? Shouldn't it be that that which is dear to the heart of Christ, shouldn't it be just as dear to our hearts as well? The last point I'd like to propose for why we should be about the business of gathering in the lost is because it was Christ's mission and he has made it ours. Jesus in no uncertain terms in Luke 19, 6 said this, the son of man, he's telling us why he came. The son of man, speaking about himself, came to seek and save the lost. He said it, and then he went about doing it. He went to rich people. He went to poor people. He went to the demoniac who was out of his right mind, and he went to a man who was in his right mind, Nathaniel, a man who had no God. He went to a tax collector, Zacchaeus, and he went to a fisherman. In other words, Jesus went to everyone from every walk of life, in every status of life, when no one else would go, guess what? Our Lord went. When no one else would volunteer, our Lord did. He alone left the glories of heaven. He alone knows what it is to, to live eternally in peace, love, and perfect harmony, and left all that, came here, and wants to go into environments that I would refuse to go in sometimes that I would be hesitant to go into, to speak to people that I would be hesitant to speaking of. Think about that for a second. If you saw a picture of in Israel where that demoniac lived in, in that cave, supposedly, I mean, it is out in nowhere. He's out there scratching himself. And guess what? Sometimes when we minister the gospel to folks, right, we might say something and they might say something to us that we don't like. Well, this demoniac was filled with a thousand demons them thousand demons was cursed in four-letter words, five-letter words, whatever you call it. They were going off. And in spite of that, Jesus knew that's what he was going to encounter. But his love that he had for this man 
that came from eternity past was manifesting itself right there. So if Jesus could go in the cave of a Gadarene, why can't I go into projects with lowly people that I esteem to be lonely? If Jesus could do all these things and to go to all these people, why can I not go and speak to my white brother? Why can I not go and reach out to my black brother and call him my own and recognize who he is and vice versa? Why should I allow myself to fall for that which is going on, the polarization that's occurring in our nation today? Why should I fall for that? The answer is I shouldn't because Jesus didn't. He met that Samaritan woman at the well at high noon. You know why? Because she couldn't go in the morning or in the evening when everyone else went because it was cool. She went when the sun was blazing hot. And if you live in Mississippi, you know what it is for the sun to be blazing hot with the, the humidity out there. And ain't none one of us going out there to draw in the water on a well at that time of the day. But she went because she was an outcast. And Jesus went with all the love that he had in his heart from eternity past, and went and revealed himself to this woman. Went where no man would go. I think there's a commercial or a show like that. Went where no man would go. And remember what it said. He said, I have to go to Samaria. Not because there were other routes, but because he was ordained to go reach the lost, the outcasts. So if that is our Lord's heart, how can it be? any different for us. In the Old Testament, the people of God were given this very mission, but they failed miserably. Instead of reaching those who were not like them, they created walls of separation between them. Instead of walking in the light of God's word as a preface to their testimony of God's goodness and plan for his creation, go therefore, they, they went opposite from that. They walked away from what God has called us to. They embraced the ways instead of the gods of the nations. They embraced the ways of the people and the gods of those particular nations. Now, on this side of the cross, we have the same assignment that they had. It's well articulated for us in Matthew 28, 18 and, uh, and through 20, which says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He is talking to those who were lost and are now found. They are now supposed to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, go out into the highways and into the byways in every sphere of influence in which they find themselves and share that which was shared with them. For how can they hear unless... There's a preacher and someone who is sent. We, like Christ, have been sent. So, like Christ, so like Christ, let us with hearts overflowing with the love of Christ, irrespective of any and all obstacles, go to the rich, the poor, black. White, Democrat, Republican, those in civil government and those in public offices. Like I said, the discourse, the civil discourse in our environment today is toxic to say the very least. But let me ask you this. 
Isn't it when things are toxic? And isn't it when things are the worst that Christ manifests himself fully and he gets glory because in the midst of that, he rises himself up and his people up and the power of his spirit to manifest in that mess for the praise of his glory. Isn't that when God makes a difference? And if God makes a difference in that and he works through us by the power of his spirit, we then become the vessels by whom he receives glory by gathering in the lost from every sphere of society. Would that our hearts would be like the prophet Isaiah. For you see, God on this side of the cross has revealed himself to us. Isaiah went in to the temple and he saw God in his holiness. He saw the gloriousness of our Lord. And he was so struck that he said, woe is me. I'm undone. He recognized the same thing I said during the offering. And that's in Psalm 8. What is man that you should consider him? And then he came out of God's presence. Or even while he was still in God's presence, God said to him, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I wish that we will be like Isaiah, who said, here I am. Send me. Notice that he didn't say, Lord, I know this dude down the street that's a real good evangelist. Lord, you know what? I got to do my accounting job. You know, I've been quarantined, so I got 10 days up in here. I, I can't really go out there, you know. No, no excuses. He said, here I am immediately. He knew who he was serving. He loved who he was serving. And it was out of the abundance of that love and the, the fear of the Lord, not scared, but reverence for him, understanding who he was and who he was in relationship to him. He was grateful. He said, as we hear in the New Testament, this is my reasonable sacrifice to go into the highways and byways, to give up some of my comforts for those who are in bad positions, who I would not normally want to go to or speak to. But Christ would. And so I am not operating in my will. I'm operating in his. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Listen, if what I have said this morning sounds in any way like an admonishment, please understand that I count myself as one who needs to be exhorted to be intentional like Christ was. All of us a wayward when it comes to preaching and teaching and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of us are hesitant. All of us have our prejudices. All of us. Me no less than anyone else. But we do it because of the love we have for Christ. You know, central to my call. And there's a whole bunch of folks that are new in this church. And so you might not know this because we haven't really pressed it. But central and for various reasons, none smaller than, you know, the switch, the awesome switch that we have from Pastor Carl uh, to Pastor Caleb. Not saying that Carl wasn't good. Carl is, was good. But Carl himself went to the session and said, look, you know what? We need to have someone so that we can move forward, right? And then you had COVID. But you should know that my call here, part of my call here was to move towards being 
a more multi-ethnic church. And one of the reasons you heard me saying some of the things that I said in our sermon is because it's been compounded now. That effort has been compounded by the things that are happening in our society and how people are race-baiting others and saying things that are totally agenda-based and not always based in fact. And so it is causing us to hate one another when the Bible calls us to love one another. It's causing us to want to get into our corners and stay there and not come together. But that is not the vision that you see in Revelation 7. In Revelation 7, you see every tribe, every nation, every tongue praising our God together. And that's why I said it becomes to the glory of God. It becoming of our Lord. When we go to our brothers and sisters, no matter what color, no matter what race, and embrace them as our own and invite them into our homes. One of the things that I must stress is that I, as one person, cannot do move in that direction of us becoming more multi-ethnic on my own. It would be arrogant for me to even begin to believe that. Sheep, remember, beget sheep, right? God doesn't beget the sheep. Sheep beget sheep. The shepherd doesn't beget the sheep. Sheep beget sheep. So we should go into every arena, every corner, wherever our brothers and sisters are, those who don't sound like us, look like us, and we should show them the love of Christ. We should speak to them the gospel of the good news of Christ, and we should have what this church definitely already have, and that is a warm and welcoming heart. So you will hear me sort of leading us in that direction more and more as time goes on to kind of speak to what, what I'm saying, what is multi-ethnic, what is multicultural, what is this, what is that, and guide us towards that. But I need folks to come alongside me and say, Dean, what do you think about this? Dean, why don't I go here? Why don't we go into the civil arena and, and, and partner with the police force? Why don't we partner with the fire department? Why don't we partner with the hospitals? Why don't we go all throughout Ridgeland and, and all throughout the Metro Jackson area? Because one of the interesting things about this congregation is if I asked you how many of you lived outside of five miles of Ridgeland, the majority of people would be like, you know, and I said, how many of you live 30 uh, uh, miles out or 30 minutes out? But again, a bunch of hands. And so as we reach and gather the loss, we also need to do it in the neighborhoods where you are. So we reach those who are around us and we reach those who are in the neighborhood where you are. We reach those in your sphere of influence. That is where you work, where you play, and where you gather and meet with others all, wherever we are, Jesus went every single place representing the interests of the Father. And that is what we should be and who we should be. What we should be about and who we should be. And so we gather in the loss. That is what we set out to do. And we do so again because it is the love-based will of the Father. Right? It is the mission of our Lord. And they are, we are, and those who belong to him, those who were given to him from the foundation of the world, belong, who, who belong to him, they are his greatest treasure. And all of us together will look forward to a time when we, seat, when we are seated at the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
and you will look across the room and you will see that person who you might have not spoken to before. But because Christ is moving in you, you engage them and you said something to them and they might not have come to faith then, but then they might come to faith because you planted a seed, someone else wanted it, and so on and so forth. And then you look across and say, hey, Dexter, is that you? I remember where we were. In heaven, we have eternity to have those experiences, to engage one another. And it's all deeply rooted in the love of our Lord and his desire for his people to be gathered in for his sake and all to the praise of his glory and the glory of the Father. Let us be a congregation that walks in the mandate that our God has given us to go and make disciples of all nations, wherever they are. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you saved us, that we were as lost as a zebra in the near mall, but you grabbed hold of us in the right time. Even while we were sinners, our Lord died for us, your word says. We recognize that it's out of the abundance of the love that you had for your son, that you gave us to your son, and it is out of the abundance of the love that our Lord had for us that we that he died, willingly gave himself up for us. Would you put it in our hearts, dear Lord, that out of the same abundance of love that we would go forward, the same abundance of love, you would fill our hearts with love and that we would go out to our brothers and sisters in the highways and byways and preach the gospel and be kind and loving and share the things and the things that we have with them all so that we, Lord God, can reveal your hands Reveal your feet and reveal the message of the good news that you love them. They are yours and you are calling them home. Would you give us as a congregation the wisdom to know how to deal with all the various issues that are around us and before us and how in the midst of those things to magnify the name of our Lord and to spread his gospel, thereby spreading the fame of his name. Draw in those who are yours, dear Lord. And use us, this local body, as your vessels in doing so. We pray this earnestly in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.